Welcome to BC Polytalk. I'm your co-host, Bill Thielman. I'm Daniel Fontaine. And today we've got Lisa Dominato, Vancouver City Councillor from the Nonpartisan Association, talking to us about city issues. So, Bill, uh, I have a list of about 20 things I'd like to talk to Lisa about. Is that about. all? Uh, about 20 things. <laughs> but, you know, it strikes me as I was kind of preparing for this interview today, how many issues are now in the kind of uh, uh, domain of the city of Vancouver that maybe wasn't there 20 years ago. So there's things that like uh, drug overdose and we're, uh, things like uh, the strata property insurance issues, things that would never have been discussed 20 years ago are topics that I'd like to actually talk to Lisa about today. Well, and we have campers in Oppenheimer Park who've been there for months and months. We have a lot of different issues. We've got budgetary issues, which are always a factor in Vancouver politics, but I don't think we've ever seen an increase proposed mm -hmm. as high as we had this past uh, city council and the budget is still being debated as we record this. But mm -hmm. there's a lot of really tough issues for Vancouver city councillors. It's a much tougher job than it was 20 years ago. Well, I'd like to explore a little bit further around how uh, implementing seven or eight percent property tax increases is in any way going to increase affordability in the city of Vancouver, which we all know based on every poll is one of the top two issues that people are concerned about. So I, I, I can't see how any city councillor can justify that, but I'll be interested to see. I, I know Lisa's obviously not in support of that type of an increase, but be interested to get her take on that. Mm. And, and both of us are involved in strata ownership, so we both have a really big issue, which I think is going to go on for a while, and that's the skyrocketing insurance for condominiums uh, as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I'm also going to uh, ask her the question of the fact that uh, the mayor has already started, uh, has announced he's running again, and he's actually starting to fundraise. And why so soon? And maybe she has a little bit of insight as to uh, some of the, the backroom politics happening at City Hall that we're not aware of. Well, I want to ask her about what's going on with the NPA, which seems to be uh, doing the opposite of getting ready for an election. <laughs> Good point. We'll be right back. BC Polytalk thanks Harbour Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. Joining us now is Lisa Dominato. She's the Vancouver City Councillor. Uh, welcome to BC Polytalk, Lisa. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we're going to jump right on into it because we have a lot of topics that we'd like to talk to you about because uh, Vancouver is the center of everything. So there's obviously going to be a <laughs> lot of questions for us to, to ask you. But I'm going to start off uh, right off the top with a question that I'm sure a lot of taxpayers are asking in the city of Vancouver. 8% uh, was what uh, the city passed in terms of its uh, ta property tax increase. That's a huge number, even by comparison to not only the history of Vancouver, but just this entire region. Mm -hmm. uh, are city taxpayers uh, going to be expecting something similar to that again next year? Are we looking at 8, 8 and 8? Like where does this end and, and what was driving that decision to, uh, to increase the taxes by so much? Yeah, well, I said at the outset of the budget, this was a proposed budget that came in. They proposed was 8.2% property tax increase. And I said at the outset that was too high. Uh, I didn't support that. And uh, I know that some of it's been attributed to fire and police costs, but that's not the full story. Um, there's been forecasting for a number of years indicating that uh, our revenues and our expenditures weren't in line. Expenditures are exceeding revenues and that we need to look at our budget a little bit differently. Uh, personally, um, we moved a motion uh, to actually look at the budget, revisit it, look at fixed costs, looking at reducing department budgets by 5% and actually having a new budget come back in January. And my frustration is that that wasn't supported by the majority of council. And I was very clear about that recently in an op-ed. And, and I think it was about good governance. The budget doesn't need to be passed until April. 
And I think that's what taxpayers want to see as well, is that we're looking at finding savings, finding efficiencies, while still delivering quality services to residents. And so I was disappointed that we weren't able to make those improvements. And was it was it not reduced, though, at, at this point, the proposal is for less than 8%? Of, I'm not sure exactly what the percentage is. came down by a yeah. point or something after there was a, a, a yeah. lot of kerfuffle about it. <laughs> It ended up at 7%, but I think by and large that mm -hmm. was too high for a resident. Mm -hmm. So we're, when we're talking about affordability across the board, and this is what I said in my op-ed recently, is that across the country people are talking about everything from housing to the cost of food. 7% uh, was too much for people, and there wasn't an appetite to go below that, uh, except for, I believe, the NPA caucus. And uh, so that's why we advanced a motion to look at reducing uh, the budget and having staff come back with new proposals in mm -hmm. January. Yeah. So, Lisa, full disclosure, I used to work at City Hall. I used mm -hmm. to be the chief of staff no. to the mayor. No. Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I just, 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 I had no idea. Just in case our listeners and uh, those who are watching the show don't know that. So I, I, I'm very familiar, very mm -hmm. intimately aware of the process at City Hall around preparing budgets and looking at reducing costs. And it's it's uh, you always get staff coming in wanting to add and politicians wanting to mm -hmm. add things on and on. At, at what point? Uh, do you look at actually seriously looking at reducing a cost? Because you mentioned that in terms mm -hmm. of reducing. But can you name a single program or a single uh, service at the city of Vancouver that's in the million dollar plus range that's been cut in the last decade or two? Because I'm not aware of any. Yeah, well, I think that's a challenge that this council struggled with. Uh, last year, actually, when we were dealing with our initial budget, uh, there was a couple of us that actually moved some amendments to reduce the property tax increase. And we did move uh, reduce it by 0.5%. Mm. So it was equated to about $2 million. Um, but by and large, no. We've As a council, there's been a number of new priorities put forward. Some of the larger cost ones have been around the city planning process, around climate initiatives, around public safety. Um, but I think that's what we need to be looking at is how do we prioritize um, and focus our resources but also find efficiencies um, and savings throughout. And I think there's, a, but you need to do that review. You need to actually go through the steps of taking a look and saying, should we still be doing this? Um, is this necessary anymore? Or is there someone else doing this? We have lots of organizations we partner with that are delivering services. That, so I think it's actually taking a second sober look and that didn't happen. And I hope that we can move in that direction this year. Yeah. What uh, one question that I would have about the budget is: you've got really a, a mixed uh, smorgasbord of, of political parties and councillors there right now. How mm -hmm. much is that responsible? Because this seemed to be a higher increase uh, than any of the years where Vision was in power, or where where the nonpartisan association, which you're a member of, were in power previous to that. This seemed to be the largest ever. And I'm wondering how much of it was just everybody had a pet project, everybody had a different constituency, and so it all came into this. Uh, into this budget? Yeah, well, I see it certainly is unprecedented, I think, what we saw in terms of the property tax increase this year that was mm -hmm. proposed. And certainly there are a range of views, and that's where it's challenging to find consensus, where I think we struggle to find consensus is around the budget, around housing development at times. And uh, I think we did struggle to come to a conclusion that, okay, we can agree to this. This is what is reasonable. And, um, and there's obviously some of us on council who are of like mind. Um, but uh, yes, there are a number of projects, and everybody wants to advance them. And I think in, actually, in a, in, in a number of areas, we actually agree, um, but we still need to prioritize. And I think that's what's lacking is that kind of more laser focus mm -hmm. uh, on how we have finite resources. How do we partner with other organizations to deliver services in the city and do that work? Do you think property taxes will be an election issue in the next ele municipal election? I believe affordability will mm -hmm. be, again, an election issue. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's not just about property taxes. Mm -hmm. I think people are feeling squeezed at all mm -hmm. levels. Mm -hmm. And like I said, that's not just unique to Vancouver and British Columbia. That's across this country. And I think that is what's good, that affordability and housing. 
So, Lisa, as as we tape this, um, uh, there are numerous headlines and stories emerging around the issue of affordability, but slightly different topic. And it relates to uh, uh, stratospheric uh, rises in property insurance rates. And so I'm trying to figure out exactly what's driving all of this, but I'm hearing multiple different reasons, everything from climate change to uh, potential earthquake risk, et cetera. But, but really what we're looking at is for people in the city of Vancouver, uh, and there are a lot of them who uh, are either living in condos or renting uh, a condominium, are facing the prospect of, yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know, you're facing the prospect of, uh, I'm hearing things like four or five, $600 more a month in your assessed strata fees just to cover the insurance. There's no way that's sustainable in a city like Vancouver that is already challenged with affordability issues. So what are you guys doing as a council? Are you monitoring this? Are you in, in dialogue with uh, the province or the federal government? Who who is? It seems like there's right now a lot of uh, finger pointing that it's not us, it's someone else. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's the people who are going to have to pay this that are going to be hurt. Yeah, well, like you, I was reading about this and trying to make sense of what are the drivers behind it. And it isn't really clear to me as a counselor. So I've asked our, our staff and mm-hmm. I'm asking the mayor as well is like, can't, are we looking into this? Are we talking with provincial officials and our counterparts to find out what is because uh, that is unsustainable. And when I read that it's not only about tenants insurance for people who are in mm-hmm. those units, it's actually building insurance for the that's entire so, building. Yeah. Um, that's serious. Uh, we do live in a seismic zone. Um, we, we need to know that we can have that, but also that it's reasonable. So I would hope that the province will take up looking at this as well mm-hmm. as an issue. Yeah, I mean, as a former Strata Council president, current Strata, <laughs> strata liver, <laughs> living person uh, in, in my building, our insurance has gone up fairly uh, strongly, but not this multiple times. And Tony Giovento of the uh, Condominium Homeowners Association says there's at least 11 condominiums in BC he knows of that have no insurance that they've been told we will not give you insurance so it strikes me that uh, and certainly on my personal tenants insurance uh, owners insurance for property it's gone up 40 percent because of earthquake uh, fees and things like that but it just strikes me that this is an area where some government has to intervene it's this is you know there's only three providers of condominium insurance right now in Canada is my understanding only three mm-hmm. and there's not so it's almost an oligopoly situation and so I don't know what the answer is yet but I certainly know it's going to have to take some kind of government intervention at some level and I think Vancouver is kind of the fulcrum of the worst of it. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think there's an opportunity here, especially as we consider the residents that are living in condominiums. While we have young people, we also have um, empty nesters and mm-hmm. seniors who are maybe downsizing, moving into condominiums as well, who may be on fixed incomes. And mm-hmm. so again, speaking to the issue of affordability. So I hope that the province takes it up and I've also raised it with our staff as well. Mm-hmm. No, it's a serious issue. And I know that uh, affordability is not going away in the city of Vancouver. And if this doesn't get resolved soon, that it will likely impact um, a lot of folks. I, I'm just gonna uh, let you know, I was this week, I, I I was at an event uh, that was around builders, was a Buildex uh, convention, and they were. I was at a building uh, Buildex breakfast where they had all the stakeholders in, and I must say, even having had worked at City Hall, I was surprised by some of the numbers they were putting up on the on the uh, the stage, and they were talking about how long it takes for a development. Uh, in a place like the city of Vancouver to actually go from concept to shovel in the ground to be constructed. And one stat that jumped out at me, they said that it's now taking longer for the planning process and to get ready for shovels in the ground than it is to actually construct a building. Any thoughts on that? Or, 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 or is there anything happening <laughs> at the city that is can give some hope to people who are looking for affordable housing and yeah. looking to bring costs down to actually streamlining? Because that was an issue even when I was there you know, 15 years ago. So. 
Absolutely. At the forefront for us, I think all of council, uh, we recognize there's a challenge there. I have met with everyone from homeowners over the last year to nonprofit developers to larger developers. And there's a, a common consensus around the time frame of delivering the permits, getting the rezoning applications, getting the work done. One of the things I think holds promise is the city is doing a regulatory review to look at uh, streamlining and clarifying the information that we have available. But I, that's not just going to cut it. We know we need to do more. Um, we've just concluded a pilot called the short program which was around supportive housing and rental tenure and it was specifically to look at um, how do we expedite processes both from the very beginning query stage right through to the end uh, around any uh, developments that uh, we're going to maximize housing for families on city-owned land or nonprofit held land and um, they've they've developed a process through that that shortens the timelines down so for me what I want to know is okay so what's the outcome of the pilot what did we learn how do we adapt that to the rest of our developments because we have social housing, supportive housing projects that have been in the queue for like seven years. And that's far too long. When we're talking about the yeah. dire need for this, we've need, and so that is something we're working on. And we've actually brought in a, a new staff person within the planning department who is actually looking at breaking down the silos between departments that also holds things. A silo, a silo breaker. Which a is silo breaker. <laughs> now you have to bring someone in to break up the silos. But, but also, I mean, on the flip side, and, and for your comment on this, mm -hmm. we also saw when the province said we want to do modular housing for people in dire straits who are homeless, mm -hmm. things happened very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. yes. uh, and, and, and kudos to the province and the city mm -hmm. and everybody involved, social housing, for doing that. So if we can do that, then where is the logjam? Is it more regulation or is it the fact, I think if I remember rightly, uh, Mayor Kennedy Stewart had said that they'd hired more people in the development office itself, which gave some relief, but where is the logjam? In my view, some of it's around the regulatory pieces. We have mm -hmm. conflicting regulations at mm -hmm. times, and mm -hmm. I think we need to ensure our staff are empowered to make decisions and to be mm -hmm. able to flex and say, okay, what are our outcomes? What are the yeah. outcomes we're driving through so that we're not focusing on serving the regulation and the policy, but we're serving the outcomes we've established. Mm -hmm. And so I think innovations like this, looking at our timelines and be able to do processes simultaneously, uh, we can look at that. And that's what the short program does, for instance, around development permits and building permits. Uh, but I think that's where it is. I don't think it's a, a lack of resources in terms of people. We've got some great people in there, mm -hmm. but I think it's about the steps and how do we look at sort of the, the credentials of some of the, we've got some, um, really well-known, established, um, both nonprofit developers and uh, private developers who we've worked with, they've got credential people. So how do we give them some clearance? Okay, you've mm -hmm. got a credential architect who signed off on this. Um, so I think it's just taking some of the hoops out of the mix. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, cause I know, uh, Bill, to your uh, comment about adding additional staff, I know when I worked there, uh, I'd often get proposals from the staff to say, if only we had 30 more staff, uh, things would go a lot faster. And I would hear from the development industry saying, please don't hire 30 more staff. It's only going to be 30 more people that we have to deal with. So <laughs> it, it, there is really a debate as to whether or not it's the regulatory burden and actually the process that you have to change or whether or not you're actually short uh, on the staff piece. So I think that's a, mm -hmm. that's a good point. I wanted to ask you about one of the most difficult issues I think in facing the city of Vancouver, uh, not just today, but for the last several months, and that's Oppenheimer Park. There seems to have been, uh, I drove by there the other day in the rain. It was <clears throat> such a sad, uh, tragic site there. Obviously there are people who are uh, at the their last resort in intense. There's other people who are activists or agitators perhaps, but uh, this has gone on for months and months and the park board seemed to have decided it didn't really want to do anything other than talk about it. Um, as I mean, to me, I, I suspect most residents, taxpayers of Vancouver would say, well, I don't care who deals with it, somebody deal with it. Uh, what, what would you suggest as a solution? 
Yeah, this has certainly been a challenging issue for, and it's not just a, a, a challenge facing Vancouver. If you look uh, mm -hmm. south of us in Oregon, California as well, mm -hmm. it's facing similar issues in terms mm -hmm. of high poverty, housing shortages. Um, personally, um, I'm very much of the view is that we need to find housing for people and develop housing that's going to meet those needs. But we also need to restore the park for park mm -hmm. use because mm -hmm. we have residents nearby who live mm -hmm. in Strathcona, who live in that area, who can no longer use that park. Uh, mm -hmm. They can't bring their children there. They can't enjoy mm -hmm. the space. Um, now, uh, housing was offered in August of last year, as you'll recall, mm -hmm. and those people who accepted the housing did move out. But we do continue to have people there encamped there. And um, it is concerning. Uh, personally, um, Councillor Weeb and I uh, brought forward a motion to council. It wasn't just simply about Oppenheimer. It was more broadly about we've got individuals um, who are um, homeless, who need supports, and I don't believe they're getting the wraparound supports. So some mm -hmm. of it's about outreach. Mm -hmm. uh, so a couple of things. One's the housing piece. And, and that's why I was speaking to the supportive housing. How do we move that? more quickly um, because more quickly we can advance housing, more quickly we can move people into it and offer it. Um, but also there's a lot of people who are either they're homeless or they're borderline homeless or, and, and they're not getting adequate supports, whether it be mental health, mm -hmm. addictions, um, healthcare in general. Mm -hmm. um, we also were advocating that motion around supported employment programs uh, to support individuals who um, need to build skills and seek some employment. Um, but it has been a very challenging issue for us. Um, mm -hmm. My understanding is that uh, Portland Society is now working to do some outreach within mm -hmm. the park and that they mm -hmm. will be moving to uh, get the remaining individuals there into housing as quickly as possible. And I do hope, and the park board is now leading that work. Mm -hmm. Um, you, oh, sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, Dan. I'm yeah. just going to follow up yeah. on that just briefly. Yeah. Um, Mayor Leonard Krog of Nanaimo really sort of took a leap that I think a lot of us have thought about, and I'd, I'd be interested in your views. And he just said there are people with mental health issues who really should not be left on the street. They should be given supportive housing and treatment, but they maybe not voluntarily. What did you think of Mayor Krog's position on that? Yeah, it's an interesting issue. Uh, I was chair of the Kettle Society and the mm -hmm, Kettle Society emerged yeah. from yeah. Uh, yeah. when Riverview closed. Yeah. And uh, I believe, and that was set up as a community support service and, and outreach, but it was never designed to be providing the high level of care that some individuals need. Yeah. And so, uh, and we have a shortage. We actually have only, I think, 100 beds in the entire province for people who are struggling with um, uh, mental illness and, and uh, addiction. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And I think we need to be looking at more care options for people, as well as for people who want to leave addiction entirely. And, mm -hmm. and we just don't have a lot of mm -hmm. that available. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think we have people living on the streets who are really struggling and aren't getting the kind of supports they need. And is there a way to do outreach and, and provide that entryway into that support is what I would advocate for. Mm -hmm. So Lisa, the, the park board is actually a creation of the city of Vancouver. It's not something that's mandated provincially. Mm -hmm. So it is there a creation as a result of the city of, of Vancouver itself. But I, I'm going to say something to you that might be a bit controversial and throw, throw this out at you. But, you know, if that protest were taking place in Dunbar or in Shaughnessy or in Kitsilano, I would dare say that that protest would have been removed immediately. But because it's in a, an impoverished neighborhood, in a community, it's been let to go for months and months and months. And I, I've been watching the people who live in that community who have just as much a, of a right to have access to green space as somebody in Shaughnessy and, and Dunbar. And yet for some reason it's been um, kind of, oh, it's okay, it's happening. I mean, people aren't maybe, maybe necessarily saying it's okay, but it's happening. What do you tell those people who wanna have access to their park? They're watching the city of Vancouver uh, pass it over to the park board and say, well, it's their jurisdiction, we're not gonna do anything. Is there any plan or any hope that they would have that in the coming months that come this spring that they might actually get access to that park again? 
Well, that's my hope. And I, and that was part of the motivation um, because I was very much of the view, uh, and this is where Councillor Weave and I put forward a motion, is that we needed to lean in, not lean back. So we never, I never supported the position of saying, well, this is just up to park board. I think we have a collective issue and it involves all levels of government. I, I firmly believe that. Um, but there is a frustration. Um, and I, I think you've had some um, MPA park board commissioners been very clear about trying to move towards an injunction to get people housing, but also to restore the park. Um, that didn't happen because I think of the makeup of the park board and, and the views. Uh, and I recognize people are also trying to respect the community as well. I think they're trying to find a balance of, uh, this is a community of people. Not, I'm not just talking about Oppenheimer. I'm talking mm -hmm. about the entire downtown east side around Strathcona and being sensitive to um, um, getting people the housing first. Um, and, but my hope is that we will get that housing in place in the next couple months and the park will be restored so that people can use it. Um, but I appreciate it. it's been incredibly frustrating uh, for an, uh, both the neighboring community and more at large. But I think it, it actually signals and speaks to much greater systemic issues that we have and why I just recently um, asked Minister Simpson if the provincial government was looking at, I'd heard that they might be looking at some sort of task force or some other, because I actually don't think we can deal with all of these issues on our own as a city, um, because there's so many other things tied into shelter rates, welfare, uh, employment, um, healthcare supports. And so um, I'm hoping that they will help and work with us as a city. Hmm. Well, as, as we discuss all these questions, I'm glad I'm not a city councilor. <laughs> I have to be perfectly honest, because they're really tough questions. And I, I unfortunately have another one. Uh, we've recently seen uh, blockades, which included closing Broadway and Maine, uh, shutting down the West Coast Express and other things, but some of them clearly in Vancouver at Granville Street Bridge mm -hmm. by protesters. Uh, and in this case, it was around Indigenous issues. Mm -hmm. In other cases, we've seen it before. What do you think as a city council, the role of a Vancouver Police Department should be and how much I'm not someone who wants to see our governments telling police what to do at any level, on the one hand. On the other hand, as a commuter, uh, as a uh, driver, as someone who watched people who were blind and disabled, not able to get across the city uh, through no fault of their own, it, it infuriated me at the same time. So, so how do you see strike a balance? And what, what, is, what do you think, the, do you think the VPD has the right balance? It's a really tough issue, as you mm -hmm. can imagine, because I personally support free speech. I, f I support the right to protest. Mm -hmm. But I also hear on ballots what you're saying is that you've also got citizens who have the right to get to work, to get home, to support their families, mm -hmm. to get around every day. Um, I, I think that um, the police in Vancouver, I'll speak to Vancouver only, um, have acted within what they believe is their authority mm -hmm. uh, in terms of addressing sort of peaceful demonstration. Um, but has it been disruptive? Certainly, we saw that at Cambry and, and, mm -hmm. and uh, Broadway. We've seen it on the Granville Street Bridge. We've seen it with the West Coast Express. Uh, and so uh, we don't give direction specifically to the police or the police board as a, as a council. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and But it is certainly a challenging issue is to find that balance between you're entitled absolutely to protest and to speak your voice and your truth. Mm -hmm. But then how do we balance that with as well as continuing to as a civil yeah. society and to allow people to move around? And, and I don't necessarily have the answer to be perfectly mm. frank on that. Um, do, you, do you worry that these protests, in particular the, the most recent ones, are going to cause a backlash against reconciliation? Because mm -hmm. it's really something that I'm concerned about. I, I could see that. I can see how there might be. Um, and I, I think I'd be troubled by that because I think a lot of work has been done um, and around reconciliation. I know we have as a city a very close relationship, uh, working relationship with the Musk and the Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh, mm -hmm. and I'm incredibly proud of that work. Um, so I hope that is not the mm -hmm. case um, and uh, because 
frankly, there there are many, many wrongs that we committed as a country mm-hmm. to First Nations people. And um, so I do hope that that is not the case. Uh, but it is uh, challenging, and I don't really have an answer or a solution and you know, around mm-hmm. what we're grappling with today in yeah. terms of different perspectives mm-hmm. uh, on a, an issue that's nationwide. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Lisa, before we let you go today, uh, we have to talk about politics at City Hall. No. Even though you're <laughs> no, a no, this is BC Poly Talk. Yeah, we don't, talk, we we don't talk, about talk about politics here. We don't talk politics. We don't talk about politics. And <sighs> so I would like to talk to you a little bit about politics. I know Bill might want to skirt this one. But um, Mayor Kennedy Stewart has announced already that he's running for re-election. He's cranking up the fundraising machine, as I understand it. He's, uh, you know, uh, raking in a lot of dollars, getting ready for the next election. What? What's driving the mayor to uh, go out so early? And uh, do you think that that will hurt the NPA's chance uh, to uh, take that position back in the next civic election? Well, that's a great question, Daniel. <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I think he's came out. He, I think that the mayor's come out early to signal that uh, that to his supporters and to build that support and keep the momentum up. I, I think that he feels he has an opportunity to drive some change. He's been very clear about his priorities around the city. Um, and so I think he's trying to signal that early. Um, I don't think it necessarily will impact uh, um other mayoralty candidates who weighed in a little bit later on. Uh, but I do think that he wanted to signal it early to sort of keep that momentum going. Uh, hmm. vote, er- vote early, vote often is uh, always, <laughs> always been a, Well, I just wondered, uh, flipping around a, a little bit, um, there's been some discordance in the ND- NPA as well. And uh, one of your colleagues left the NPA, Rebecca, mm-hmm. well, I left the NPA over some of the uh, individuals who are elected to the NPA board, others didn't. Mm-hmm. Is the NPA going to pull it together, I guess, for the next election, given we got Kennedy Stewart out early? Is the NPA going to be in fighting? Mm. You know, um, I, I was disappointed to see Councillor Bly uh, leave the caucus. Mm. Uh, I would prefer that she stay in, but I respected her wishes, mm-hmm. and I've been very clear that I supported her in that. I mm. have a, uh, I have been a long supporter of the LGBTQ community. My stepdaughter identifies as queer. Um, but that being said, um, I don't believe um, that... Uh, there was various allegations about particular board members. I don't know those individuals, and, and I and I. But um, the caucus has been very clear about what we stand for, what we value, what the NPA has long stood for in this mm-hmm. city in terms of being inclusive. And I stand by that, and I think that that will guide us in our as we move forward as a caucus and as an organization. Is that we're very clear about where we stand, and what we believe in. So, Lisa, uh, uh, you can often tell a lot about someone by the last book that they've read. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's a profound statement. Uh, so what uh, what's the last book you've read? Maybe let our listeners and our, our viewers know uh, what you're reading and and uh, why. Well, I will. And I actually brought them with me. Anticipating oh, you uh, might. props, props. Oh, oh, there, yeah. we there we go. Excellent. So I'm actually reading. I'm not actually done them. Uh, but I am reading two books right now. I'm reading The Happy City by a local, Charles Montgomery. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm also reading um, From the Ashes, Jesse Thistle. And um, he's now working in Ontario, but uh, uh, known for his Indigenous homeless and talking about his mm-hmm. way forward. And um, reading both of them because obviously Happy City talking about, here we are talking about urban planning, urban development. is a big part of what we talk mm-hmm. about the city and, and what does the city look like in the future. Um, but I am also very passionate about 
housing and ensuring that people have a roof over the head because to me that's so foundational to be able to move forward and um, so I was very curious this was recommended to me and um, so I'm making my way through that as well not done either because I spend a lot of time reading briefing notes as you can imagine yeah. at City Hall but um, yeah I'm passionate about housing and ensuring that our, our most vulnerable um, residents uh, have what they need and uh, as all residents so everyone can live in the city and uh, so that's why I picked that one. Great. Yeah. Lisa Dominato, thank you so much for joining us on BC Polytalk. Thank you. Thanks, thanks, thanks for, for having coming me. On. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. We'll be right back. BC Polytalk thanks Harbor Air for supporting the show. It's through sponsorship and viewer support that we get to produce this show. So Bill, Lisa was the first person on BC Polytalk to come in from Vancouver City Council, and there's probably going to be another eight or nine who are going to want to come on the show. But Lisa was uh, was quite fascinating. I really enjoyed that conversation, uh, very down to earth. And, uh, you know, it, it did strike me, as you said, that it would be tough to be a, a Vancouver mm -hmm. City Councillor mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. And really, at, at the end of that conversation, I was really struck by that, that, that enormity of the kind of things that they're dealing with at City Council is incredible. Yeah, and you know, we didn't talk about it, but she was delayed in getting to the studio because of a protest and a protest march and we've been seeing a lot of that so I thought it's interesting it's a tough line for City Council to find on a whole bunch of issues in terms of directing or not directing the Vancouver Police Department the way they take actions on things dealing with uh, a park board which has jurisdiction for Oppenheimer Park but doesn't always exercise it um, there are just so many big challenges for city councillors that are things, as we said before, you didn't see 20 years ago. Well, and that's interesting too, because there's a lot of things that city council is dealing with that are completely out of its control. And then there are things that city council has 100% control over and it's not doing anything. And I think that sometimes can frustrate uh, voters and frustrate the public. And, uh, you know, I, I look at the issue of the strata insurance and we talked, we touched a little bit on that. And I think it's one of those sleeper issues that is just going to boil over probably within the next few months. But what can the city do? I mean, you heard from Lisa, there really is no answer. Uh, mm -hmm. The answer is really more dialogue and more mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, I mean, there's a lot of issues that are simply out of control. And and uh, whether it's city council, provincial, federal government, doesn't matter. Uh, so there's a lot of things like that. Uh, insurance for, for strata condominiums is one of those things where uh, I believe that, and somewhat ironically, uh, it is one of those solutions that can only come from government, that, that it has to come from government and not from the private industry because the industry is kind of saying, you know, not mm -hmm. us, not us, nothing much we can do. Mm -hmm. You cannot have large numbers of strata condominiums without any insurance uh, going forward or with absolutely outrageous extortionate levels of insurance uh, and expect people to just accept that. It's not going to happen. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be a topic for our next provincial guest that we get on the show, but I, I can't help but imagine that uh, there's a lot of discussions going on in Victoria right now about what is possible. Um, I, for me, the, the final takeaway was around uh, just her response to Mayor Kennedy beginning his... Uh, uh, Kennedy Stewart. Uh, sorry, Kennedy Stewart, his quest for uh, becoming the next mayor of Vancouver again. And I think that it's quite smart for him to get out there early. Mm -hmm, He's basically... Mm -hmm. In, in many ways, killed off any opponents on the center left who might kind of uh, want to challenge him. And he's also sent the message out to the NPA that I've started. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. so Lisa's reaction to, yeah. to my question was... Are you telling me I have no chance now? Uh, Bill, uh, Bill, uh, I'd be more than willing to, to be your campaign manager. And, and Of all uh, the jobs, all you've been a chief of staff to a mayor. Of all the jobs in politics, I think Mayor of Vancouver is one that I don't aspire to in the least. But I do think it is interesting. And the NPA, of course, has known that on the left with vision for 10 years in power under Mayor Gregor Robertson, they didn't start 
start uh, in September for a November election. They always were working at this all the time. Yes. And I had kind of thought the NPA would be doing that. And instead, there's infighting and intrigue going on with the election of, the, mm -hmm. of a board where uh, one of the NPA councillors, Rebecca Bly, quit. So there's a lot of uh, mm -hmm. challenges for the right-hand side of the political fence in Vancouver to get its act together. Fortunately for them, I guess, is there's a bit of time. Well, it's been another great week. Really enjoyed having Lisa on. Uh, we'll uh, talk to you soon. And remember, you can find everything at our website, bcpolytalk.ca. You can also chase us down on Spotify and iTunes for podcasts. You can find us on Vimeo. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find links there. You can go to YouTube and see the show. 